Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 24. We'll try to get the whole chapter this morning facing prosecutors. Hopefully we're learning from the scripture a lot of things about ourselves and as well as the Lord and what to do with that information, to love what Jesus loves. How to train your children to love what Jesus loves. I know we, we who love the Lord, we try. We try to teach them and we try to learn ourselves to learn to stand for Jesus more than my own feelings. Not easy to do. Our own feelings are usually carnal, if not held in check by the spiritual man. It's good to know these things. It enhances our performance. And we're going to see this. Apostle Paul stand before his prosecutors. He doesn't give an inch. He cares very much. But he's not going to cave. He's not going to appease them. He's not going to meet them halfway. He's going to stand by his faith. He's going to do it, it seems to me, without an attitude. Although there is that defiant attitude against all that is against Christ. But he, he meets them some of them, where they are. The other ones, that they've, they've so alienated from God, there's nothing more he can do for them. And so, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 24, we will stand and read verses 13 through 16. And so, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 13. <clears throat> Nor can they prove the things of which... They now accuse me, but this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Please be seated. So he lays it out. They're charging him with all sorts of false things. And he's going to preach the gospel. Whether he's on his deathbed, wherever this man is. His purpose in life, and he knows it is to preach Christ at any opportunity he gets. And we're watching him do this, and he's not the only one. All the apostles were doing this. When Peter gets to the house of the Gentile Cornelius, he preaches the gospel. He has that opportunity. He lets it fly. And there was great conversions there. This chapter 24 covers about a two-year period. Though we'll be focused on one, one session, one day. And we learn to stand our ground against prosecutors, those who are trying to charge us with some sort of crime or some sort of wrong. We learn to preach to those who are listening, regardless of what they're going to do with what we say, so long as what we say matches the Lord, both in its context and its delivery. Within ten years of these events in this chapter, God will be done with Judaic Jerusalem. Corrupted Judaism did not see it coming. The temple will be flattened by, this time, Rome's brand of Gentiles. 
They will demolish the temple. They will destroy the city. They will fulfill the Lord's prophecy that we read about in Matthew 24, for example, concerning the fate of the temple. But that's a few years off from now. No one knows it. The Lord knows it. Verse 1, now after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullius. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. Imaginary hearsay evidence is what it really was. We can imagine Ananias, this high priest, who last session in court with Paul had him struck in the face. They, They hit Paul. You can imagine his distaste that he had to make a 70-mile or so journey, and he's, he's an older man, uh, to come to stand before a Gentile governor. And yet his hatred for Paul motivated him, made it easier. Hatred has that energy, and love is supposed to overcome hatred. Verse 2, and when he was called upon, Tertullius began his accusation, saying, seeing that Through you, we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. Verse 3, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Verse 4, nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. This is empty flattery. The Jews despised Felix. He had a heavy hand in keeping them in line. A few years later, they will go to Rome to appeal to Caesar to get him fired, and they will succeed. And this Tertullius, he's a smooth operator. He, he knows how to work the court, and he thinks he's put, getting away with it right here. A Roman historian Tacitus said about this man Felix, who was once a slave. This man Felix was once a slave. But his brother uh, got in good with the Caesar, Nero, and uh, that was his, his hook. Uh, That's the one who got him this job and kept him from being um, executed when he got fired from this job. But uh, Tacitus writes, through all cruelty and licentiousness, he exercised the authority of a king with the spirit of a slave. Well, that's telling us who Paul's going to be standing in front of. This is not a noble judge with a high standard of, of morality or justice. He's a criminal. And he has a lot of authority. And Paul knows this going into it. And Paul's made up his mind, well, that he's going to do what he's going to do, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And uh, that's hopefully what we learn in this, the midst of this court trial that Paul is facing. Verse 5, Tertullius continues, For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, verse 6. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. The pronouns suggest that he, Tertullius, who's prosecuting Paul, that he is himself a Jew. Uh, They've hired him because he's familiar with the Gentile courts. And many a devilish soul or devil-controlled soul has hurled lies, which are half-truths, which are lies, against God's people through the ages. 
In Revelation 12, verse 10, we read, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. Well, from that, that scripture verse about the future, about future events, we get something about very uh, present events right now, current events. The Satan is a, an accuser. He is a prosecutor. He's constantly charging us with wrong. And while he's right many times, the blood of Christ cancels out his accusations. What we get from Revelation 12 is that he accuses the brethren, the righteous, those who have come to Christ day and night. He doesn't let up. If you don't learn how to handle that, you're going to get beat up by Satan. We learn to confess our sins and trust the mercy and the grace of Christ and move forward in his strength. Otherwise, you'll never serve. You won't do anything. You'll just be on the sideline moping all the time. Your feelings will dominate your life. That's not a good place to be. It, um, it is only the saints on earth that Satan accuses because those who are in heaven are beyond his accusations. And it's an interesting lesson from all this that is very important that I think is, I think you'll agree, is bypassed by many Christians. You know, someone tell you something bad about another Christian or maybe a pastor or a church and it's hearsay and is so often believed, gobbled up. And uh, the Bible warns against this. We hate to be victims of it, then why do we contribute to it? Proverbs 30, um, for three things. Well, that's not what I wanted to read. That's not the right verse. Okay, Proverbs 18, 7. Let's go do a commercial. <laughs> Proverbs 18, 17. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. And so there the scripture warns us. Don't just believe an accusation. Later, Paul has to write to the pastors. He says, don't receive an accusation against an elder on the strength of one witness. You shouldn't do that with anybody. Paul is being charged, but there are no witnesses here. Not one witness will step forward in violation of the Jewish law. They called him a plague, a ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes. This... Um, Back to Proverbs 30 now. For three things the earth is perturbed. Yes, for four it cannot bear up. For a servant when he reigns. Well, that's Felix. And uh, this is uh, someone who uh, is in power, but doesn't belong there. And Paul has been suffering this from the high priest Ananias and from others in his, his trek. Throughout the ancient world, preaching the gospel. And what do you do with that when you fall victim to it? What, what happens when you find yourself before a servant who reigns? And of course, in the negative context, because there are ex exceptions. But when you find yourself being judged by someone who's incompetent and corrupt, what do you do? Well, you stand your ground in your faith. And you look for that opportunity to preach the gospel, regardless of what happens. Uh, sometimes they kill us for this. Calling him a ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes. Judaism wanted nothing to do, wanted no so association with Christianity. I think a lot of Christians don't understand that. We're not. Uh, 
uh, Old Testament Jews. We are New Testament believers. And uh, this would be the truth for the, for the ethnic Jews also. When they come to Christ, there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, barbarian, Scythian. We're all one in Christ. And that's our identity. This, this is who we are. Uh, the, the only charge that they could substantiate against Paul was that he was a ringleader amongst those who followed Jesus of Nazareth. But they, they won't call them, well, Christians wasn't as widespread that title, but they would not refer to them of the way. They certainly wouldn't refer to them as Christians because that's the, the, the Gentile for Messiah. And they did not see Christ as the Messiah. And so they, they chose to refer to those who followed Jesus as Nazarenes. And it was uh, meant to uh, insult them. Nazareth was held in contempt, as Philip asked. Can anything good come out? Well, Nathaniel asked Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And his simple response was, come see. Come see for yourself. And he met the, he met the Christ. So, this... Uh, Paul, being charged with being a ringleader of a sect that has spread a plague throughout the world. Uh, of course, Felix is listening to this. He doesn't like the Jews. The Jews don't like him, but he has this position of authority. Uh, he is not an honest man. The riots that were caused were not caused by Paul, but by those who are, are charging him with wrong. The Christians led no revolt. True Christians caused no riots. But in this time in history, it was, of course, the zealots of Judaism. Verse 7, and the, But the commander, Lysias, came by with great violence, took him out of our hands. Verse 8, Commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him, your, him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. Verse 9, and the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. Well, he conveniently leaves out the part about Lysias having to rescue Paul from a vigilante mob against their own Jewish law, against their own Bible. And uh, he leaves that out, of course. But here is again, Proverbs eighteen seventeen: The one to plead his case seems right until the other one comes along and defends himself, which Paul will get... A chance in a moment. So they vocalize their agreement, insisting that everything, that Paul is the boogeyman. Now, verse 10, then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do more cheerfully answer for myself. Well, Felix had been governor for about six years in in that region by now. Verse 11, Because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. Verse 12, And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd either in the synagogue or the city. So he gives the courtesy without flattery as in contrast to Tertullius who Flattered, you know, Felix, oh, excellent Felix, we've been blessed by you, and it's all just empty. But Paul was not guilty of any religious, political, or cultural crimes, uh, social crimes, there in <clears throat> Jerusalem from Rome's perspective. Verse 13, 
Paul continues, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. So he's been charged with all these bad things. He says, they don't, they don't have anything. He just, there's nothing to defend. Uh, there's not a shred of evidence against me. This did not stop Felix attempts to exploit Paul. Later at the end, we'll read that he, he wanted a bribe from Paul. Corrupted judges ignore innocence. And corrupted religious folks ignore the scriptures. They love their religion without what God says. Or they'll just take portions of what God says, as Satan did when he quoted the audacity to quote scripture to the Son of God. Has indeed, God said, you know, you know, the same with Eve, did the same thing. The audacity to quote scripture. What is scripture? Scripture is what God says and what he has preserved for us to learn from. We call it the Bible. Where are the four men whom Paul had paid vows for? Surely they could come and say, hey, Paul did the right thing. He followed our law. He did nothing wrong. But we never read about them coming to tell the truth as witnesses on Paul's behalf. There's a lesson for all of us Christians. I don't need support. I would like it. I don't say it with a, you know, a, a defiant spirit towards others, but it's good when you have support. But if you don't have it, that doesn't stop the witness. I'm still going to preach Christ. I'm still going to say what I've what I've been shown by the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 now. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. So Paul says, I believe every word of my Bible. Is this wasted on any of us? Is this, you know, when are we going to sing again? What kind of program do you have for my teens? What, what, you know, what can you do for me and my, my particular needs? The Bible's not enough. Let me tell you, the Bible is enough. But you've got to believe it. You've got to let it do what it does. You've got to take the hurt sometime in life. Surprise! Nobody goes through this life unscathed. Not a single one. What do you do with it? Well, I just let my feelings get clobbered, then I clobber everybody else. Or I spread my, you know, depression. I walk around dragging my knuckles as a Christian all the time. I hope that's not the case. The Bible challenges each and every one of us. It's constantly saying, I need you to get to the next level. But it never condemns us in the process. Oh, I mean, it condemns any sins that we commit, sure. But the Lord is not saying, you know, he's... <laughs> You know, it's, it, when I went to boot camp, I enjoyed the abuses of the drill instructors. I trusted them. I mean, I had a plan, too, in case things got out of hand, but I trusted them. I knew they were doing what they had a job to do, and they were very good at it. So now with Christ, how much more is he worthy of trust? How much more do I have to remember he causes all things to work together for the good? If I hang in there. Well, I don't like that phrase. <laughs> hanging in there just implies that you can just let go at any minute and you're no longer hanging, you're falling. 
Maybe that comes from my <laughs> construction background. You don't want to hang off a side of a building. Anyway, uh, this, um, these lessons, may they not be wasted on us. Take the lessons you can get. That's enough for you. Because that's a lot. Satan so doesn't want you to get any of them. He wants to corrupt all of them. Take what you can get, what you can carry. And God will supply you. God will be there. Here in verse 14, he says, But this I confess to you, that according to the way, that is the Christianity. This, of course, is the language of Christ. I am the way. They, that was circulated in the, uh, the ancient church by this time. His claim was that religion, Paul's claim, was that the religion of his fathers... The ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets, uh, just the kings, the righteous kings like David. He is saying that their religion, he carried it to its ultimate conclusion. In other words, he connected the dots between what the prophets said and what Jesus did. He didn't miss it. It wasn't wasted. Or initially he did, but now he's got it. Connecting the prophecies of Messiah to the life and the deeds of Jesus, which then says, challenges me and says, are you connecting lessons from the scripture to your own life? We have another way of saying that. Are you practicing what you preach? Well, someone's going to challenge that. And his name is Satan, Lucifer, the devil and his minions. They're not going to sit by and say, look at that, you enjoyed that Bible study, didn't you? Well, let's just leave them alone. It goes the other way. Christ says, you're ready for him. I made you ready for him. You're fit for this. Regardless of how you feel, you're fit for it. He says, so I worship the God of my fathers. He claimed that Christianity was the fulfillment of Hebrew prophecy. He is saying to them, I am totally in line with the Bible. I am totally in line with the Old Testament by worshiping Jesus Christ. Now, of course, those who had brought charges against him, they didn't want to hear any of this. Felix is listening. But there are others in that court that are also listening. And history makes no mention of them directly. But indirectly, it does. How does it do it indirectly? Well, where where did these court records come from? Somebody had to leak them out. Somebody who sympathized with the message. Somebody who agreed with Paul. He says, according to the law, he's in harmony with that which is written by the prophets. Harold Lindsdale in his book, Battle for the Bible, you might want to pick that up in the chapel store if, if you're looking for something to read. He makes this, and I love his first two chapters alone, are just really great. But anyway, he says, of all the doctrines connected with the Christian faith, none is more important than the one that has to do with the basis of our religious knowledge. I mean, where do you get your faith from? Where do you get this information from? That is the most important part. If Satan packs your parachute, are you ready to jump out of this life with that? Then he says... From where do I get my knowledge on which my faith is based? Jesus said, you are mistaken. Not knowing the scriptures or the power of God. And more and more, we're watching churches 
hide or overrule or suppress what the Bible has to say because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. They don't want to see people leave the church. They want to appeal to people. Well, we want to appeal to people too, but according to the scriptures. Verse 15, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This hope is determination to trust God, no matter what the situation may bring. Maybe it's sickness. In Paul's case, it was uh, for his freedom and his life. It was a court issue. Uh, It varies from person to person, from time to time. The hope that is determined to trust God because of what the scriptures teach about God. That's what Peter was saying in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, where he said, a reason for the hope that is in you. You have a reason for it. It's connected to something. It is that unbroken witness from Genesis to what we now have, Revelation. And so we Christians, we have to accept that life's hurts and losses, we accept them without losing Christ, without losing our trust in him. It's just a resolve, a determination. I have hope in God. Well, those are empty words when pressure comes and you lose the hope. Without trusting him, we become fatigued, we become bitter, and we can become not only backsliders, but we can become apostates. Fall away entirely from the faith. Paul talks a lot about those time people. He says that there will be a resurrection of the dead. Going, looking again at verse 15, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Well, he's quoting their scripture, Daniel chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. Daniel preached a resurrection of the dead. Daniel 12, beginning in verse 2. Actually, the verse... First four verses are good, but we'll just take these two. Many of those who sleep, a euphemism for dead, in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Laid out, very clear. I don't think there's anybody who can read that misunderstands what that says. Unless they start lying because they don't like it. He says, Daniel does, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. But those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to turn people to righteousness. And he does, he's done a, an incredible job. And again, he's not the only one. Other Christians were hard at work doing the same thing. People are accountable to God for their behavior, whether they agree or not, whether they like it or not. And uh, that's part of our message when we talk about the good news. There is also the bad news. And the bad news is if you reject the good news, it's going to be bad. Well, verse 16, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. I've worked for this, Paul is saying, I've worked To have a good standing with God and men. Not enough to just say, well, you know, God loves me and everybody else hates you. Well, I mean, there may be certain, there are certain circumstances where everybody does gang up on you, but 
in our world, there, is, there are righteous churches. And in those churches are people that are ready to love. They're eager to love. Because Christ lives in them. Last time Paul made this statement in the presence of Ananias, they struck him on the, on the command of Ananias. But now this is a Roman court. And they can't get to him. So he stands his ground and he repeats what he said. This is his testimony. He's not apologizing because he got struck for this last time. As far as he knows, they might get to him again some way. But he knows what he, whom he believes in. And he doesn't hold it back. His testimony was acceptable. This testimony is acceptable to God. We just read uh, this Wednesday on our walk through Isaiah, King Hezekiah made a very similar statement. Isaiah 38, Hezekiah speaking to God when he was told he was going to die. And he's appealing to God to spare his life. He's not ready to die. Not a good example in some ways, but in other ways it's very human. He says, remember now, O, o Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. That's their scripture. That is their law. And what was the outcome of that? God granted his prayer request. He never rebuked him for that. He rewarded him. Not simply for that, but if it was wrong for a, a believer to stand up and say that I always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. There's nothing wrong with saying that. It's not being arrogant. If you as a Christian say, I try to serve the Lord. I try to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is no violation against the Spirit of God for saying that. Because those who say that will be quick to say, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We are aware of our sin, but we're also, what makes the Christian effective in hard times, is we're aware of the hard times, we are aware of our own weakness, but we are also aware of the strength of Christ to overcome anything, so long as we seek Him. He told Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Well, it, he couldn't have his strength be perfect any other way because we're all weak. We're weakened by sin. Man, I love the Word of God. I get so frustrated that I can't do better at being a Christian. But that ain't going to make me stop striving, trying to be better all the time. I can handle this kind of pressure. I'm built for this kind of pressure. When God saved me, he said, you're built to deal with the curse. He says that to every Christian. You're built for this because I built you. When mankind fell, I was ready for it. As ugly as it is, as painful, unfair. You know, you've seen the bumper sticker, life is such and such and then you die. That's your testimony. That's not mine. Life is cursed. But there's work to do in the midst of it. And Satan hates that we pull it off. And the proof is all the people that have been saved through the ages. There will be a multitude of people in heaven that will be saved from this life. And God used other people in this life to do it. Well, we're part of that number. Uh, you know, when the saints go marching in, I want to be part of that number. 
Verse 17, now after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation. Verse 18, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. So he's refuting the charges against him. Verse 19, they ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. (laughs) He said, I'm bringing humanitarian relief. To my people in Jerusalem, now these were the Christians that were suffering hardship, and we covered that in earlier chapters. And neither Tertullius, the prosecutor, or the high priest, or any of those with them were present when the ruckus broke out at the temple. There are no witnesses here. It's all hearsay, which is hearsay charges don't count. And Felix, he knows that. He's not going to set Paul free. Because he's corrupt. But he has, by law, there's no charges. He's innocent. Go. But God is not only protecting Paul from the assassins that want to kill him, but he's going to use this man to preach to the upper crust of that ancient world, and there will be souls saved. Jewish law required witnesses against the accused. They had none. They're constantly trampling their own Bible, but they don't care. What they want, what they feel, what they enjoy is more important than what God said. It's up to them and their twisted thinking to try to fake it, to hold up God's word on the outside, but not on the inside. And the word for that is hypocrisy. Verse 20, or else, Paul continues, let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Now, Paul knows if they start lying, They're going to be in trouble if they get caught, and they're not going to do that. Verse 21, unless it is for this one statement which I cried out, standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. Is believing in the resurrection a crime, Paul says? He's saying also, our own scriptures, as I just read from Daniel, our own scriptures speak about those who are dead living after life. The details have been, of course, expanded for us in the New Testament. Verse 22, But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, and you see how Luke Luke refers to Christianity as the way at this phase. Even though the word had been circulating, uh, Christian had been circulating, there were those old school uh, uh, followers that still referred to our faith as the way. And he says, Uh, But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. Well, he's lying. In fact, there's no evidence that Lysias was even commanded to come to the court. He's not subpoenaed, summons to the court. Um, But this is who Felix was. A lot of power and a little bit of brain. Verse 23, so he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for, to provide for or visit him. Oh yeah, he's hoping they're going to be bringing him money, that, that, so he can get this bribe that he's he's going to he's plotting. In fact, it's so commonplace. The bribes were so common is when he you know when Luke records it, it's just a matter of fact. It's not like, but he was the exception. He's not the exception. Verse 24, after some days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul. 
and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Well, you know, when at one point he goes home, so how was your day? Well, Paul was in my court. Uh, and uh, really, I'd like to see that. Can I, is that so? Yeah, just, you know, bring your wife to work day. Sure, absolutely. Uh, anyway, liberty, the word liberty here, where um, he says in verse 23, let him have liberty. The Greek is uh, to slack, like you would use the word to slack a rope. Cut him some slack. Uh, so he's not a prisoner. He's under protective custody, uh, but he's still really a prisoner. Uh, anyway, he says after some days in verse 24, when Felix came with his wife. Now, to them, this was entertainment. Paul was a bit of a celebrity in those days. A high-profile uh, prisoner, and uh, he was an exhibition. They wanted to see him, so, ah, and it's not going to stop here. Festus is going to come behind Felix, do the same thing. From Paul's end, they were targets. He's, I'm going to preach to these guys. They don't know what's coming, and I, this is what we're supposed to be like. He's not jamming the gospel down their throat. He is led by the Spirit to go to Rome. He is protected by God. He is totally ready for them. He knows what righteousness is and self-control and the holy. He knows these things and he's going to use it. So Felix, again, brings his wife. She, of course, is a Jew. In violation of the Jewish law. He seduced her away from her husband to marry him. He lured her. And uh, her family, one reason why she'd be interested is her family was, had been involved in the way in sev on several bloody occasions. So let's look at her family tree. Her father, Herod Agrippa I, he was the one that murdered the first of the apostles to be martyred, James. Well, the worms ate him. Not James, but worms ate this Herod Agrippa I. Her great-grandfather, therefore, was Herod the Great. Uh, he is the one that we're all familiar with, who tried to kill the child Jesus and ordered the baby boys of Bethlehem to be killed. And they did just that. He was a butcher. Where's he right now? He's still alive somewhere, just not on earth. He is conscious of his sin. Her great uncle killed John the Baptist and mocked Jesus and has the uh, dubious honor of being the only person in the Bible that Jesus flat out ignored. That's pretty heavy stuff when God ignores you. And so this is her family tree. And yeah, she wants to see this leader of the way, one of the leaders. And uh, look at this, you say, well, if Paul had not been arrested, again, I'm repeating this because it's that important. Had he not been arrested, he would not have the chance to preach to these uh, reprobates and those in the court that are also hearing what's going on. And as we get into the other letters, and Paul says, oh, say hi to Cortes, and say hi to Segundus. He is just rattling off all these names of people who came to Christ. Some of those names were part of various, uh, the courts of various rulers. One grew up with the Herods. 
He could have had his feelings hurt. I can't believe God let the Romans put me in jail. I didn't do anything wrong. There's a lot of things he could have done that he did not do. And the things he could do, he did do. And they were right. So they invited him as a novelty. He's going to cut them all with his words. He's going to slash through them. They're all going to squirm by the time he's done. And he's not even trying. He's just telling the gospel. Verse 25. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Now as he reasoned, he made sense. He presented facts about our faith that you just could not excuse or just laugh away. Pilate did not give Christ a chance to answer when Pilate said, what is truth? He didn't give Jesus a chance to say, you're looking at him. The Holy Spirit is in action here. Jesus said this to his apostles, when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. When he says the world, he means there's no escape. Whoever comes in contact with this gospel is going to get conviction. What they do with it is a different thing. Of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Well, you can't know righteousness without knowing sin. Paul said, I would not have known covetousness except the law told me. And of judgment. This is just a summary of what he preached. Judaism had long become useless when it came to to making converts, to reaching lost souls. Jeremiah, almost 600 years earlier, at Jerusalem's first temple's destruction, he wrote this in his lamentation after the temple was destroyed. Man, you, can you imagine? This great prophet was devastated. And if you read Lamentation, you say, he is almost blaspheming like Job. It really let it out. His feelings were just, de- he just, just beat up. But he hung in there and he writes, your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not uncovered your iniquity to bring back your captives, but have envisioned for you false prophecies and delusions. He's saying your pastors are withholding the truth. They don't want to hurt your feelings. They can't. They don't want to tell you the truth. So they, too, have become apostates and liars. Not all, thank God. As I'm standing here, there are many churches throughout this world where pastors are preaching the truth to congregations who want just that. Not in California yet. They're still sleeping. But we get the picture. That merits reading again. In a society where Christians want everything, it seems, sometimes, but Scripture. Or they just want doses of Scripture. Cherry-picked, tailor-cut. They have not uncovered your iniquity. That's when he says, uh, he will con- when Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin. He will expose the sin that has to be dealt with. True prophets, true pastors always disturb the impenitent sinners and the shallow believers along with them. The shallow believers are challenged. The unbelievers are invited, adherence to the scripture as intended by God, preached and pursued by Bible-believing pastors. That is the template we have 
from the book of Acts to the rest of the New Testament. Of course, in Jesus, no question, even into the Old Testament. He says about righteousness. Righteousness in this context, holiness. Holiness is correction, is, is corrected character before God. Righteousness is corrected conduct around people. All of it in the presence of God, of course. Holiness is corrected character. That gets in deep. Righteousness is corrected conduct. This is a basic definition for for the righteousness that is connected to the holiness. The Gentiles, they had their made-up gods, and they brandished all the human vices. Those gods were vindictive, they were jealous, they were murderers, they were everything that God calls us not to be. These were the gods they worshipped. And Paul, when he's laying this out, Felix is getting a dose of something he never had before, and so is Drusilla. But, well, let's keep going. The God of Paul is this, Hebrews chapter 7. Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, higher than the heavens. That's our Lord. That is our God. He says self-control. Been talking about feelings a lot. Felix and Drusilla, they, again, knew nothing of the righteousness, the self-control, and the judgment to come. Billy Sunday was a preacher many decades ago, and he had a, a quotable way about him. Um, self-control is not letting the feelings run the ship. Who is the captain of your faith? Your feelings or the Lord? So Billy says this, and you younger Christians, this is mainly for you. Well, but not exclusively. Strive for self-control by forming good habits before bad ones fasten themselves upon you. A thread can be broken, but a rope will hang you. He had a way about him, Billy Sunday did. All of his quotes, that, that, that many of his quotes are just great. He says, and judgment, accountability to an almighty God. Jesus said, this, said it this way in one section of Matthew. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. In other words, it would be too late. They will be sorry and they will be angry because they will not change. And he says, to come. It's impossible to cancel disappointment. Ecclesiastes 8.11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. They think they're getting away with it, like a bratty child that just keeps pushing and pushing the boundaries and testing, and is not being corrected. A problem for everybody else. Well, that's what Solomon recognized with adults that were doing this with God. It says here that Felix was afraid. Your King James, the older King James, may say terrified, but afraid is terrified might be a bit much, but afraid is sufficient. Uh, this was his hour of opportunity. His fear was the touch of God upon him, upon his soul. He was guilty before the God that Paul was presenting to him. And his heart may have trembled, but it did not break. This fear that he has at hearing the gospel is going to fade. It's going to go to the point where he hears it so much it just doesn't do anything. This is the danger of playing with the truth of God. There are a few in this alumni. Uh, Herod, the one who killed John the Baptist, he, would, he was moved 
by what he heard John preach. And yet, the day came where he ordered his beheading nonetheless. It's not enough to be convicted. Conviction of sin uh, without repentance is useless. It actually works against you. Uh, It's not enough to be convicted. You must be converted. Jesus said it this way. You must be born again. There is only one convenient time to receive the gospel, and that is as soon as you hear it. Because you're not promised a second chance, nor are you promised to get better at listening to it uh, the way God wants you to. The convenient time for Felix never came. He undervalued what God had to say. Tomorrow comes, tomorrow quickly becomes yesterday. Conviction does not guarantee conversion. Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. The inference is he may not always be near. Here's a few from that alumni of last chances. Pharaoh, I mean, look at the miracles he saw. And he was not converted. He was killed in the Red Sea, chasing the Jewish people to their deaths. There was Nineveh. They got one chance. They took it. They were converted. And as I mentioned, Herod Antipas, the one who killed John, Nero will hear the gospel. And about that time, after Nero hears the gospel, because he was a relatively decent leader as Caesars go, until he reached a point where he snapped And according to my research, it's about the time Paul would have been in front of him. And so dismissing the gospel, he becomes this beast. Um, Revelation 2, verse 21. And this is a good verse to read to an unbeliever who you're sharing the gospel with. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. So the choice, the free will is there. There's no way around it. When it comes to salvation, the Bible preaches you have a choice in this matter. Verse 26, meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. Didn't he just get to talking to you about righteousness, self-control, and judgment? And yet, he just dismisses it, and he's got his greedy fingers held out nonetheless, hoping that he could manipulate Paul into uh, bribing him. But Paul's testimony was more important than his freedom. Man, that's big. Put yourself in put yourself in a jailhouse with an opportunity to bribe your way out or to stand firm in the testimony you gave. That would have wiped out everything Paul said of righteousness and self-control and judgment to come. And then he goes ahead and he buys his freedom uh, in, in, in a court that is supposed to uphold righteousness. Well, the motto of Felix was just this. Who needs righteousness? When selfishness will get you what you want, but it won't get you what you need. We are all quick at being selfish, and we've got to watch it. Restrain the flesh. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. Uh, Never again did Paul make Felix tremble. We don't read of that happening again. Truth became amusing to Felix. He is a dead man walking because of it. And where is Felix now? He knew the truth of God, but did nothing about it. And there it sat on his heart, untouched, rejected ultimately, till the day he was damned. And where is he now? Verse 27, But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. 
Well, he's going to do that. He's, he's fired by Rome. He's summoned to Caesar. He's doing this to hopefully when he gets in front of Caesar. I tried to help those guys. I, if they had an in, one that they hated, I kept him in jail. What are they talking about? Anyway, uh, uh, he's moved out of office after two years. And uh, are there exceptions to bribery? I don't think there are, but there is a distinction between bribery and ransom. Let's say, for example, you're trying to adopt a child from a country where it is just totally given to evil. But you can't do it without greasing some palms. They're just not going to let you do it. That's ransom. That's paying the price for them. That is not joining into the sin that is going on because Jesus did that for me. He ransomed me off the slave block of Satan. He didn't use cash. He used blood. And he used holy blood. So, yeah, there are times that we look at things and we say, hey, not so fast here. Let's look at this a little bit more. Paul was not trying to ransom his own freedom. That would have been the bribery. But there are situations where we're cast into, and we have to be careful that we're not sinning, but uh, that we understand that uh, paying for a lost soul that is steeped in innocence is part of a ransom price. Well, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you have paid the price. You have ransomed us, and we love it. We love it so much, we want everybody to benefit from the ransom that you have paid. If you have been listening and you have been saying to yourself, I'm on the side of Felix. I hear the gospel. I know it is right. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I do wrong things. I do mean things. I do things that I'm not supposed to. And these things are done to me too. Oh, there is sin. And with that sin, there is accountability. There is a hereafter. There is a judgment day. You may not get another shot. Here you have somebody appealing to you, God through me, God through whoever is preaching the gospel to you, appealing to you to make the call, to act upon your conviction. The conviction is a realization of guilt. And in this case, guilt before a holy God. If you'd like to do something about it, you've got to receive it. You have to come to Christ. Make this prayer and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your commandments. I'm lined up for a judgment to eternal separation from you. But I ask you to forgive me. My understanding, this is the very thing you want to do. So I come to you. There's nowhere else to go. No one else died for me. No one is powerful enough to forgive me. I ask you to pardon me. And that from this day forward, you would be not only the one who saves my soul from judgment to come, but the one who rules over my life in love and in wisdom and power. I give my life to you. Now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they not be shy about it. May they step forward and make their confession public when the invitation is given may they come up and share it with one of the pastors we ask these things in jesus name amen